I suppose it's all relative, sir. Terod Armstead hasn't signed anywhere, and according to NFL's Greg Rosenthal, he's the best free agent still on the market, but it's not a lot to get excited about. Right you are, boy. Now let's talk free agency. Welcome, everybody, to the Sleeper Wire show. I don't know what the hell that was, but it's uh, quite late at night here, so uh, assuming you haven't switched off, welcome to the best show you're going to hear about free agency for the next hour and a half probably not that long certainly uh if we can avoid it now it's been a big couple of days it is free agency season it's silly season it's the season of hope and for those fans of abusive franchises it's like a night out with an ex you're ready to break up with but you can't quite push them over the edge because you have this wonderful night out and you forget how bad it just is so shout out to all our jets fans out there now the reason I'm coming to you off the top of the show is Nada is not available, uh, as is happening more and more at the moment, but we hope he will join us later in the show. But don't worry, you won't be stuck with me on my own, because I am joined by the fantasy beer baron himself from 4 for 4, NBC Sports Edge and Football Guys, Chris Allen. How are you doing, man? I'm doing quite well, Sheehan. I'm so glad we finally get a chance to get back together and chop it up. So thanks for having me back on, man. It's a pleasure. Thanks for joining us. Always enjoy, uh, always enjoy the conversations we have. Now, before we get into the football, I, you are the fantasy beer baron, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> are you? Did Did you guys get um, beer masters on uh, Amazon over in the US? We do actually. I haven't. I actually haven't watched an episode yet. But everything that I've heard tells me that I feel like I should have at least like my homebrew car like taken away from me because I haven't watched. I mean, that's sort of how I feel about it. If it's any, um, if this is any recommendation, it made me uh, possibly enjoy James Blunt more than I thought I would. Really? Because so, that that yeah. actually that's kind of a feat in and of itself. Hmm. Yeah. He's um. Yeah. He's an acquired taste. As are some of those beers. I bought a um, a six pack of the one that won the whole competition. No spoilers. Okay. And uh, I, I had some of that on the weekend. Very nice indeed. But at um, very high ABV, I think one was probably enough. Oh, okay. All right. Like how high ABV are we talking? Like nine, ten percent? Yeah, in that oh, range. Oh wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I can't. I can't do that much like anymore. So I'd probably be in the same boat as you. Maybe one. Maybe two. If it's on the weekend, I don't have anything going on the next day. 
but yeah, yeah, I prefer somewhere in like the six percentish range, you know, sessionable. I think that's the term I try and use to any beer that I make. Yep. I think that's, uh, I, I've found myself looking more and more for the session beers, make the day last a little bit longer. And Bingo. Hopefully yes. the next, the next day go a bit smoother. Yes, exactly. I think that should be the goal for anybody out trying to consume a little bit of alcohol, but Hey, some folks like that stuff. That's a little bit more high octane. Have you got any recommendations for our, uh, our listeners? Uh, for right now, so I've been getting a little bit of inspiration right now because we're getting into like the spring months. So, like it's just right around the corner. I don't know about the what the weather's like for you, but we're just creeping into like the 60 degree, 70 degree like weather like out here in like Southwest Ohio. So uh, I'm looking to get back into making either like, you know, New England IPAs, hazy IPAs, like the fruity style like type of beers that I typically like to brew. Because I'm out of the, like, I brewed a winter warmer, I did a porter, you know, I did all this, like, the pumpkin ale, I did all the seasonal stuff for the cold months, but now I'm ready to get back to my roots, or, like, the stuff that I like making. Uh, so there's a, uh, there's a brewery uh, outside of uh, Cincinnati, uh, it's called Saunders Brewery, uh, and they make a mango-flavored IPA. So if you, if, I don't know, some folks, it's kind of hit or miss, because some people don't like mangoes, but that's been the one that I've been digging for the past like few weeks and i'm trying to uh i'm theory crafting right now and trying to come up with a recipe that would be something similar to that so if you happen to be in the, like the tri-state area i don't know how far they distribute to be quite honest but if you can get something like that uh, i recommend it so give it a shot if you can beautiful it's definitely uh the back end of kind of stout porter season yeah over here in the uk still pretty cold um i mean it's always rainy but um still pretty cold and yeah, we're going to start getting into some of those, I guess, warmer, seasonal, fruitier beers as the year goes on. I'm looking forward to it, seeing, try some new stuff. I went uh, to the Bermondsey Beer Mile recently, which is, I think it's 14 or 15 breweries within the space oh, wow. of a mile. It's actually around the area where Beer Masters is filmed. It's in the arches of the train tracks as they go over the top. Okay. And uh, tried a few of those along there, but um, probably a few too many because the, the memory's a bit hazy. So my... <laughs> <laughs> might need to visit there again. Well, okay. this is this is sadly not the fantasy beer show. This is the sleeper wire show. And um, as always, if you don't want to miss anything from our awesome team, follow us on Twitter at sleeperwire show. You can chuck us a few bucks on Patreon, and uh, we'll keep bringing you this awesome content across the off season. Now, as the weird Dickensian characters off the top of the show alluded to, we are at the start of the new league year. We've had a couple of days of legal tampering, and now the stuff is becoming real. We even had the ghost of Christmas past Tom Brady back in the league. Yep. So it's, uh, it's certainly an exciting time. Were you surprised about Brady coming back? Not particularly, uh, just because of the way that the whole his retirement first came out. It was kind of reported, you know, we got the Schefter bomb, but then it was, no, he's not retiring. Then it was Jeff Darlington, who's like typically has a nose for anything like Pats or like Tom Brady related saying yes. And then we get the information. And then even after he retired, it was kind of a never say never. I might come back, never leaving, you know, always leaving the door open to coming back. So it just never felt finished. It never felt like it was his final decision. Unlike, what was it, the like Ben Roethlisberger's retirement. They were basically having his retirement before the season was actually over. Or when Philip Rivers ended his career, or Drew Brees ended his career. Like 
Brady's has has never felt that way because we've never seen him hit that age cliff that we know is probably coming at some point. But it almost felt right for him to go out, not necessarily on top because he didn't win the Super Bowl, but surpassing 5,000 yards in a single season. I mean, being one of the like uh, single handed, not single handedly, but at least piloting one of the best offenses in the league and just seeing him kind of walk away afterwards. I just always thought he might come back anyway, even though it kind of sounded like there was maybe some bad blood between him and Arian, so on and so forth. So I'm not terribly surprised. It's just now I wonder if the Bucks were surprised with him coming back because they had already announced that, who was it, Ali Marpet decided to retire. They've already had a couple of free agents like already like move on to other teams. Uh, the Bengals actually picked up like one of their uh, one of their offensive linemen in free agency. Don't know what they're going to do or if they're going to be able to come to a, to a deal with Chris, uh, with Chris Godwin long term because they have so many other free agents that need to be signed. So it's just one domino that really kind of triggered this effect of, well, now what the heck are we going to do financially from the, from Tampa's side? So no, while I'm not surprised Tom Brady came back, I do wonder if the Tampa Bay's like front front office was somewhat surprised because they might've just been kind of, okay, well, we had all these free agents that we didn't know how to pay anyway. So we'll just go ahead and just kind of move on and shift to the next phase of this franchise. But now they have to, pretty much go back all in to where they were last season and see if they can run it back like one more year. So yeah, again, not, not too terribly surprised. I, um, I can't say I was surprised either. I thought we'd see him again this year. I'm probably more surprised he's back in Tampa Bay. I mm-hmm. know the contract, uh, sorry. I know the contract made it hard for him to probably play anywhere else at a cost that teams were willing to give up for him. Um, I don't so much buy into the Arians bad blood, but, it did feel like he'd done what he needed to do there. Although it wouldn't surprise me um, with a bit more thought. I did look at the teams who might be interested, who they were. And I think once Denver was off the table, Tampa mm-hmm. Bay's really the only team that had what Brady would want around him to justify him continuing to play. He he wants to go out with a ring. He wants to go out on that stage. Um, yeah. And I'm sure Arians does too. And I think the Bucks are happy to kind of kick that can down the road as long as they can keep those two together, as long as they can keep winning. Mm-hmm. And I think as a, as a franchise, they want to see if they can continue on with, I mean, cause now it's what they won the Super Bowl two years ago. They were essentially just a few plays away or a drive away from at least getting to the NFC championship game uh, just this past year. So it's just, you know, kind of one of those things where they think they have most of the roster put together. Now I do know that they need to wind up making some moves on defense in order to make sure that they can at least get, uh, make a deeper run into the playoffs, because I'm pretty sure looking at the state of the NFC South, there's not much of a push for them to actually get out or get into the playoffs itself. But either way, I think that with him coming back, it kind of signals, all right, the NFC is now put on notice, especially with Russell Wilson moving on. So, which I'm sure we'll talk about here in a little bit. So, I'm excited to see like what happens, like how that whole sh- that that whole conference now shakes up with Brady returning. Yeah, I think. Um, well, one name I think we might see in free agency head that way, and I, I, I haven't delved into the salary cap maybe as much as I should, but it would be Tyron Matthew getting him back together with Bruce Arians, get him on a mm-hmm. winner. Uh, seems like a good fit there, particularly as they just lost uh, Jordan Whitehead to the um the jets as well so we'll see that's the fun it's kind of this is the exciting part of the season this is exciting the exciting part of when you play franchise mode in a sport Mm -hmm. uh sports game this this is where it's at now russell wilson wasn't going to talk about russell but um 
you know, he's now officially a Bronco. That's good news all round there, as far as I'm concerned. Who do you like more, though? Is it is it Judy or Sutton or uh, or Patrick? Uh, for me, I th- well, I guess I've got two answers. Uh, but I well, I, I will keep it to one answer. It's not Judy. How about that? I'll say that I prefer Cortland Sutton and Tim Patrick, and it's not just for ADP because I've seen at least in the you know in the best ball realm. Jerry Judy going somewhat uh, significantly ahead of Cortland Sutton, uh, but even Tim Patrick being the cheapest of all three and with his slot role, I just looking at the way that Russell Wilson has stylistically played over the past few seasons and also looking at what Nathaniel Hackett, former OC for the Packers, now head coach like for the Broncos, what he the tendencies that they had in Green Bay was before seeing him coming over to Denver. I think it all just kind of fits with what Russell Wilson can do as a passer still with him being one of the most accurate quarterbacks, uh, top four in completion percentage over expected for the past like four or four or five years straight. Uh, but also having that uh, also having the deep ball accuracy as well, where he not only was an accurate quarterback, but he was also leading other quarterbacks in the league in terms of adjusted yards per attempt and other deep ball metrics such as that. So I think overall it benefits a guy like Cortland Sutton. I and mean, while I get that Jerry Judy has the diverse route tree and can be that guy to open up stuff underneath. And I've already seen the comps to, or at least, you know, the quick comps that we always make, you know, Cortland Sutton is DK Metcalf. And then, you know, Jerry Judy is going to be Tyler Lockett, so on and so forth. I just don't think that Jerry Judy is going to be able to take over or at least take advantage of Russell Wilson the same way that Tyler Lockett took advantage of or not took advantage of, but able to complete that mind meld that Tyler Lockett had with Russell Wilson. So I can see more of those splash plays going towards Cortland Sutton, and especially with the discount that you're getting on him right now in drafts, uh, he'd be the one that I'd probably want the most. With Tim Patrick kind of coming in right behind him. Yep, I think that's uh, that's fairly sound logic. We have a fairly blanket rule on the show that you go the cheapest option or the cheaper option when there are two guys on the same team similarly rated. It paid off with uh, Cooper Cup last year, Debo Samuel last year. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it'll pay off again with Cortland Sutton this year. I think early on the season, it's going to be Sutton. I think Judy will come into his own. Wilson's got some bad habits to unlearn. Um, and they're bad habits based on the scheme he's been in, where it's been hand the ball off or run around and make something happen. I think Hackett, uh, obviously, he's used to having the run around, make something happen guy mm-hmm. uh, with, with Rogers. I think... I'd like to see what Wilson can do in the, the short and medium range. And then that's where Judy starts to come into his own. Um, I think he's the best of the receivers uh, skill wise. That doesn't always lead to production. Um, I, I will be going the cheaper option. I'd like it to be Judy. And to be honest, if I could maybe midway through the season, pick up Judy on even more of a discount in a dynasty league, I think that'd be a move that I look to pursue. But again, it's, it's going to, really depend on what that that team makeup is on the flip side of the coin seattle have gone from the penthouse to the um the outhouse so mm-hmm. to speak with their uh, their quarterback is it how, how dire is it i guess for metcalf and for lockett and for noah fun who i'm a big fan of i don't know i guess we'll let's break this down like piece by piece if we're looking at how if we're assuming it's going to be drew Locke that's going to be starting and the types of receivers that he was able to connect with and who he became a bit more prominent in his offenses like let's say from you know since he was essentially drafted to you know to now 
has it been like more of those intermediate guys? Sure. So that does benefit a guy like Tyler Lockett. But also look at the volume that he was putting towards like his number one receiver, like over the past like couple of seasons. He was essentially that type of quarterback that is a see it, throw it kind of guy. So I could see him locking on to a big body target like DK Metcalf. And especially if he is also when he was on the field, he was more like one of those like more, I guess, aggressive quarterbacks. Now, that's not always saying that he's going to be able to complete some of those passes. But seeing him take those deep shots, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility at all. Now, I will say, though, that it does seem to me that if Pete Carroll is going to be the one to essentially oversee this rebuild that they're essentially going to have to do now, they've moved on from Russell Wilson, they get all these picks, they're going to start bringing in younger assets in order to build that franchise back up. I can see him trying to limit the amount of mistakes and putting uh, Drew Locke into as many advantageous situations as possible. So using some of those shorter routes, those drags, those slants, those curls, in order to make sure that those receivers wind up getting open and not really putting Drew Locke into one of those situations where you can almost see it in his eyes where it's he just can't compute like what he's seeing. And that's when you get most of the turnovers. So I can see DK Metcalf getting a similar amount of targets. So 100, 110 targets, I don't think is outside of the realm of possibility. But at the same time, the amount of touchdowns, like his touchdown equity has to be dropped. The number, amount of yards would also have to be dropped because I can't see Drew Locke being able to pilot that offense into the same type of situation that Russell Wilson would. So I'm not seeing it as dire from a target share standpoint, but overall the production, I think we just have to, that pie that Russell Wilson was able to generate for the entire offense, it just shrinks when you go from a guy like Russell Wilson to a guy like Drew Locke. Absolutely. I think we're going to see um, just less opportunity because you, there's there's going to be a step down, whether that's to Drew Locke, whether that's to a rookie, whether that's to unnamed quarterback C. Maybe it's Baker Mayfield, who's to say? Yeah. But Wilson makes things happen. Well, I'm not a massive Wilson fan, but he's an elite quarterback. He extends drives, mm-hmm. and that's where you're going to see you know, what would have been a longer drive become a three and out or right. um, five plays and a pick or, or – just there's not going to be that opportunity. I make this joke every time about Drew Locke, but they should send him over to Russia so we can overthrow the government there too. He's <laughs> now got a bigger, faster target in DK Metcalf. And whether if he can outthrow DK Metcalf, then uh, overthrow DK Metcalf, then good for him because that's a hell of an arm. Yeah. I think we'll see some big plays. I think you're right. If there's going to be this offense where there is an answer to every play, there is a right answer. This is how you run the play. You get the ball in those playmakers' hands. That's going to suit Metcalf. He's an expert on those kind of S routes, the streaks, the slants, the screens. Get the ball to him and he'll do the rest. I think it is kind of bad news for Lockett. Um, it's obviously bad news for D. Eskridge, who's sort of bad oh, yeah. news for him being drafted there anyway. Mm-hmm. And it's probably wheels up for whatever cheap late-round running back is there. Um I don't know if it's going to be Locke for the whole season. I think we are going to see some of Drew Locke, whether it's Locke and, Locke and a rookie or um, Locke and a, a long-term backup or something like that. I yeah. think it's going to be a dirty season for Seattle, though. Yeah, because I can almost see a scenario where – I mean, where where do they pick this uh, – where do they pick this year? I forget where where they actually uh... – Do they have one or is this, uh, is this oh, one the... of the ones they traded to Yeah, one of the, the ones Jets? that they – Ooh, that's actually, you might have a good point. Uh, no, they pick at nine. 
because uh, after yeah, because Denver wound up giving them their pick in the Russell Wilson trade. So Seattle sure. picks at picks at nine. So could you see them going a guy like it might be a little early, but could they wind up going Mal- Malik Willis at nine and just let him sit? So you've got Drew Locke, let Malik Willis like, come along because Willis already comes in with his own warts even though the upside is obviously there, but you can almost see a team like Seattle be enamored with the traits that he has, but just, all right, he's a little raw, but we've got Drew Locke, we've got options. So we'll let Drew kind of, you know, pilot the season. If things get completely out of hand and we're out of the playoff race by, let's say week nine, week 10, let's toss the rook in, see if he has had enough time to develop and assess the situation from there. It's in like to me, it's inside the realm of possibility if that's the way that they want to approach rebuilding this franchise with the picks that they now have. But it just to me, it, the question becomes: Are they sold on any of these quarterbacks in this draft? And if the answer is yes, okay, fine. Now we see what that path is going to be for the Seahawks for 2022 and beyond. If not, I have no idea what they're going to be doing. I mean, other than either waiting for 2023 or maybe they're a team that's going to be looking for any of the free agent quarterbacks that might still be available or might become available next season. I think if I was uh, the 12th man, as they call themselves, bizarrely, Mm -hmm. um, with their retired fan jerseys, I'd almost be happy with a bottom out year here. And Pete Carroll has got an unreasonable amount of power for uh, his position. He's under no threat of being fired whatsoever. He removed the biggest threat to him losing his job by trading him to Denver. Mm-hmm. They're not going to be in a position to compete with the Rams. They're not going to be in a position to compete with the Niners. They're not going to be a, probably won't be in a position to compete with the Cardinals, despite the fact they're a bit of a basket case uh, for a variety of reasons down there anyway. Right. I'd almost punt the year and try and get an earlier pick on a better quarterback class next year. Now, we don't want to see teams tanking or be anti-competitive or anything like that. Mm -hmm. But I can see there being a real risk that they play well enough to not get a pick to land that absolute cream of the, the quarterback class next year. Mm -hmm. Um, I I would almost try and get a a better player than potentially waste four years on one this year. I'm not saying that there's not going to be players in this class who are better than, than what there is next year. Um, But smarter people than me seem to believe that it's a deeper class next year. There are more options next year and Mm -hmm. this a generally weaker class. I, I, I do agree with that. And I've heard the similar sentiments about this class versus the 2023 class, but just thinking about that franchise and just thinking about just the the fan base and the, the, like the front office, just wanting to maybe come up with a, at least a solution to the issue that we know that everybody cares about at this point. It's like, what are they going to do at quarterback? Because I would at least assume that the front office doesn't necessarily believe that Drew Locke is going to be the long-term answer. So if they want to try and find that answer and they're sitting at pick nine, it's entirely possible that they just wind up pulling the trigger there and just say, all right, we've got our guy that we could possibly develop into what it could be. But I do agree that I think it might be the best for them to, because they've already moved on from Russell Wilson. They released Bobby Wagner. I mean, they're completely out of, I mean, no one that was a part of their Super Bowl run and, sub, and their subsequent success afterwards is a part of that roster anymore. So if this hmm. is a new path for them, then why not make it a new path? Why not rebuild, retool, and then come back in 2024 
with a new squad that's ready to attack that division, which would at that point I would think would be, I mean, who knows what the Cardinals are going to be doing in a couple of years, especially with their current financial situation. Same thing with the Rams, with the way that they've mortgaged their future, however many times over. So I think in a couple of years, it could be that time for them to pounce if they play their cards right. So I think you might be onto something. I just, well, yeah, I guess we're just going to have to wait and see. I think you're right. If they're going to develop a guy, it is Willis um, that they should go. It's not Matt Corral or, you know, Kenny Pickett. Pickett, Nah, nah. Um, I am now officially a pit guy. Um, so Kenny Pickett, greatest player to ever play the game. Uh, well, sorry, third greatest, Dan Marino, Larry Fitz, Kenny Pickett. Hey, that's um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I just, I could see them going Willis, but could, yeah. that would be it. Anyway, we will find out in the fullness of time. Now, I'm going to uh, steal a segment here from the great David Letterman. And uh, we were saying before that we're going to get close to your first reactions to some of these free agency moves. And uh, what we're stealing from old Dave is, is this anything? Mm-hmm. So we have, uh, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll tell you the, the move. I'm not going to tell you the deal because I didn't write that down. Right. Um, but look at what the impact is, I guess, for the players, the players around them. And are you, are you interested? Do you care? Is this something that uh, is important to you in the upcoming fantasy season? Okay. And the f- the first one we're going to go with is uh, running back Chase Edmonds is now a Miami Dolphin. So it's like a yay or nay type of thing. So are you in- are you interested? Is is this uh, is is this newsworthy? Does this uh, wrinkle the was, sheets? Whatever whatever we want to say. I was interested up until about a half hour ago when the Raheem Mostert to Miami deal got announced as well. Because if you're just talking of it like in a vacuum, so if this was maybe 30 minutes ago and it was just Chase Edmonds, because we don't care about, unfortunately, we don't care about Miles Gaskins. I mean, good shot, like good try, but don't care. Duke Johnson, he, he had a shot, but he's just not going to be a thing anymore. So don't care. Chase Edmonds, like in care, uh, not in Carolina, with the Cardinals, he showed that versatility that we know that Miami needs at this point, not just between the tackles but also as a receiver carrying in eight to 9% target share, like within Arizona. And that was with a healthy amount of target competition, like with that entire offense. I mean, you would at least have three to four possible other pass catches on the field at any point in time. And Chase Edmonds was still commanding volume. So that's the type of running back that Miami needs at this point, because as we've seen from the free agency moves, they still have the offensive line that they need to work on. That has been their issue for the past couple of seasons now. And so if their goal is not only protect Tua, but also get that running game going, they still have work to be done. They were in the bottom half of the league in terms of both pass and run block win rate. We need to see more production like out of like their running backs just in general. And if this is now something that Mike McDaniels wants to incorporate because that was San Francisco's calling for, calling card. I mean, bottom four, bottom five, and pass rate over expectation. So if the running game is going to be a larger part of their offense moving forward, I like the signing for Chase Edmonds, but we just know that their offensive line is something that they need to work on in order to really get that entire offense moving where we're not 100% relying on Tua's arm, which still needs some development. Not his arm, but let's just say the entire passing offense just needs to develop in general. Yeah, I 100% agree with you that this was uh, exciting news up till about half an hour ago. 
uh, when they signed most. I was just checking my phone to see yep, if I'd missed anything else because I think I updated this about 10 minutes before we uh, <laughs> we started recording and I thought I had everything. But no, the, it does. It makes sense because to me, Edmonds is a scheme fit and we know most it's a scheme fit. Mike McDaniel's coming from that San Francisco scheme. That's what he's after. We know most it. Well, I say we know. We know to a degree uh, because history is often instructive. Most it is not going to be able to be out there for 16 games, which makes, mm-hmm. to me, um, Edmonds at least a high-level handcuff because I think he's a pretty good scheme fit. Um, he's an explosive athlete. Um, Tua has not really shown desire to force the ball down the field, uh, which is nice for those dump offs. And any play that's going to get the ball into the hands of your best playmakers, that's going to be Jalen Waddle, that's going to be Mike Kosek, it's going to be Chase Edmonds, uh, is going to be good news. So I think it's theoretically, it's probably a worse position now than he was in last year, I think, with the Cardinals in ostensibly a more high octane offense. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but I I don't mind it. I don't mind it as a don't mind as a move. I'm probably less interested on him though than I was this time last year. But I you know James Connor came out of the woodwork to be a a fairly um, fantasy relevant quarterback last year, and I don't think uh, running back last year. And I'm, I'm not sure too many of us saw that coming to the degree no. that it did happen. Goal line back at best is what I saw for James Connor, and he really took that role to heart with all the touchdowns he wound up scoring. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he, he's earned money in Arizona now. And for the time being, he's the only back in that backfield. They'll add someone else at least. Yeah. At, um, at some point, I agree. Yeah. Uh, so it's good news for Connor for the time being. I'll, I'll give you a triple whammy here. Okay. Uh, because they're all Jacksonville. And that's Christian Kirk, Evan Engram, and Zay Jones. Deep pockets for Shad Khan uh, to throw money at any warm body and three guys who don't seem to really nail the receiver part of their position. Yeah, I guess it's, it's better if you, if you consider what they had last year, I mean, at the top, it was what DJ Chark, Marvin Jones, who's, I mean, pretty good, like getting pretty long in the tooth. Laquan Treadwell, LaVisca Chenault, James O'Shaughnessy. I mean, these were the guys that were Dan Arnold before he got hurt. But Jamal I, Agnew. Yeah, so I, actually, I do kind of like Dan Arnold, so I can't hate on him too much. But at least for their wide receiver room, these were guys that were essentially they weren't getting it done. I mean, if you look mm-hmm. at the, like, statistically, like, from an efficiency standpoint, I mean, none of them graded out well in terms of PFF's efficiency metric yards per route run. When was the last time that even just thinking about it subjectively, when was the last time any of us were excited to start or roster a Jaguars wide receiver? I mean, we came into the uh, came into the season excited for LaVisca Chenault being paired uh, with Trevor Lawrence with his young quarterback, a young core. I mean, but the one that wound up seeing the most bump in value was Marvin Jones because he was the one that was capable, like still capable of getting open, still getting looks in the red zone. I mean, without the, I mean, of course, Chark's injury derailed the end of his time in Jacksonville, but it was so difficult for us to get behind this entire offense, whether it be because of Urban Meyer or whatever the case may be, or like just rookie pains with Trevor Lawrence. It's just hard for me to, it was just hard for us to get behind that entire passing offense. So now would I say that all of those players are now upgrades? Okay, fine. I mean, Zay Jones was a great running back, a great, a great wide receiver. Great to see 
him resuscitate his career when he was with the Raiders. Christian Kirk, okay, fine. Good intermediate to somewhat deep threat. Okay, fine. But it's just they don't have an alpha. And that is what that team needs. I mean, Marvin Jones played a facsimile of it because he still he was still capable of stretching the field, but they do not have an alpha receiver on that team. And my fear is without that, and still with a somewhat weak offensive line, we're just going to see, at least from an overall production standpoint, a lot of the same once we get into the 2022 season. Yeah, I agree. Um, they, they need an alpha there uh, big time. I was really happy to see the, uh, the resurgence of Zay Jones. I think he filled that um, uh, Henry Ruggs role pretty nicely for the Raiders. There wasn't a massive drop-off, but still we're talking about a guy whose most notable uh, performance in the NFL is getting up off the ground in a really cool way. That was really cool. Um, it, oh, it's so cool. Uh, I'm I'm super impressed. I, I kind of have always liked Zay Jones. I, I want him to do well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Christian Kirk, I was, again, I was pretty keen on him last year. Um, I think he, he could be a nice fit. I'm not that interested for fantasy purposes, but there's going to be someone here that has to catch balls. And whether that's, Kirk or Zay Jones or then bouncing off Evan Ingram's hands. I don't know right. who that is going to be. That is kind of bad news for Dan Arnold. I was a big fan of him as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe we might see Ingram uh, play more of a big wide receiver position rather than um, rather than that tight end. Could be. It's just to me, it's just I'm trying to figure out, well, what is this offense going to look like? Like, what are you going to be asking all of these guys to do? Because it just seems like there's a ton of redundancy. LaVisca Chanel, Christian Kirk. I mean, they best like their best spot is operating out of the slot. Evan Ingram, primarily out of the slot. So it's just, what are you going to be asking all of these players to do? And how is this going to work in concert together? Because typically, if you look at an offense, like a productive offense, you can pick out each of the wide receivers and you can kind of know what their roles are. If you could, I mean, just thinking about my my own personal team, like the Bengals, you know, like, okay, Jamar Chase, okay, the alpha, we've got T. Higgins, who's capable of being you know, intimidated and deep, Tyler Boyd as the slot receiver. So, like, we know what their roles are, even the trio, or at least the former trio in Dallas. You could pick out their roles. Michael Gallup plays outside. Amari Cooper, he can play, like, you know, the intermediate, like, same with CeeDee Lamb, but he, like, gets put into the slot. It's like, we could pick out their roles. But for each of these guys, we look at the roles, and it's like, they all just kind of step on each other's toes. So how does this play out once they all get on the field and they get deployed? And now with also the coaching changeover as well, I just don't know what to expect out of this offense at all, like once everything comes to fruition. So preseason, I'm gonna that's going to be one of the teams that I'm going to be watching the most, even though I don't expect a ton of their starters to play. But still, I think that's going to be one of the teams that it's just hard to project, even just knowing what they're capable of but how does it all come together as a team? I, I have no idea. I'm pretty confident they're going to add Justin Ross at the draft. We've seen success with um, mm. pairing college quarterbacks with their go-to wide receivers. I think that could be a nice addition. He adds a bit more size than some of these guys. Although Zay Jones is a big boy. Um, yeah. He just plays smaller than his size. Um you, you touched on LaVisca Chenault. Nat is not here, so we can actually talk about it. He's banned me from talking about him on the show. <laughs> uh, neither of us are big fans of him, but um, he just he, he's uh, he who must not be, be named on this show. Where do you see, because there's this sort of talk that Chenault might be looking somewhere else. Where, what do you see the role for Chenault? And I suppose Travis Etienne this year. 
Well, ETN, I'm not as worried about just because of the injury to James Robinson towards the back end of the season. So if we assume that he's going to be back and I haven't heard any reports or any sort of updates like from the like from a medical standpoint, if he's going to be ready to go or whatever the case may be. But I'm making the assumption that Travis ETN is going to essentially be what Urban Meyer wanted for him to essentially be the lead back catch pass out of the backfield, be that slasher, I think was the term that Urban Meyer like gave to ETN. So either way, I'm okay with ETN and what his role is going to be because outside of, I don't even know who's going to be behind him at this point. So there shouldn't be much of a competition for touches for ETN. For Visca, like we were just talking about, there's just so much redundancy with the other players that are there. What is his role supposed to be? Is he going to also play slot like opposite like Christian Kirk? Are they going to try and push him to the outside again, which they did at times last year when Chark was injured, which never seemed to work out at all? Or is Evan Ingram going to rotate in and also try and play? So it's going to be them two playing slot? I, I just don't know. It just makes the most sense looking at it from a financial standpoint that Kirk is the one that's going to get at least the the deference like when they go to plan out their personnel rotation. But still, it's just for me, it almost seems like Visca should look to move on at this point. This regime doesn't seem all too comfortable with his skill set, what his past production looks like. So I would I would almost think that he would look to try and move on or maybe force a trade or whatever the case may be at this point, because it doesn't seem like his time in Jacksonville is going to be past however much is left on his rookie contract. Yeah, I, I agree. I think his future lies somewhere. So you can't have eight people in the slot or you'll get flagged for uh, illegal yeah. formation. Something like I, that, yeah. <laughs> Um, I'm not trying to, to wish cast here and I've given this no more thought than just the first point that popped into my head. It might be an interesting move to send him to Dallas for someone like a Lyle Collins, strengthen that offensive line and uh, Dallas do need someone else to catch the ball. Now they've lost um, Amari Cedric Cooper Wilson. Cedric Wilson. Yeah, that could actually work out for them and they wind up getting a young player, could be productive. Now let's see like what they want to do because if we're thinking about trying to look at what Dallas is going to do over the next like few years, I mean, they have, they've got Zeke on this ridiculous contract. We'll see if they just wind up outright releasing him, like at whatever point that they can with that, like I said, the ridiculous contract that they've got. It'd probably take a couple of years. But if you do wind up bringing a guy like LaVisca on, I mean, LaVisca, when he was in college, he also took some snaps out of the Wildcat. So we do know that he's got that dual threat ability. So if we've got a Tony Pollard, LaVisca Chenault, like type of backfield thing going on. I think that'd be pretty creative for a guy like Kellen Moore if he's still a part of that organization by that point in time. Yeah, I would like to see a team. Well, Chenault to get the best out of him needs to go somewhere where the team is going to use him to the best of his abilities. Mm-hmm. And you could say that Jacksonville didn't do that. You could say that Urban Meyer maybe should have done that uh, instead of wasting an early pick on ETN. But um, there's probably a lot of things Urban Meyer shouldn't have done and, and maybe misusing LaVisca <laughs> uh, Chenault is not towards the That's a the whole other that show. <laughs> <laughs> We touched on Cedric Wilson, and I probably should have segued into this one when we are talking about Miami. Have you got any interest in him in Miami? It's a pretty deep receiver group there. I do I do have some interest just because of the money he wound up commanding in free agency, which I thought was actually kind of crazy thinking, like looking at the wide receiver market overall. But like you mentioned, I mean, they still do have like quite a few receivers still there for this season. I mean, they even brought back Preston Williams as well. So if we're already assuming that Jalen Waddle is going to be the guy 
And with the moves that they currently made with not bringing on not one, but two running backs that Mike McDaniels is going to try and create something similar to what they had in San Francisco, where not really making the quarterback the focal point of their offense and going to try and run in order to set up the pass like that sort of thing, then maybe the ancillary wide receivers like a Cedric Wilson won't have as much value as most folks might project on him just because of the contract that he got. I still think he's skillful. I think in the time that he was given opportunity in Dallas, he was able to show up and actually be a key player for their offense in quite a few games. But if we're looking at a situation now in Miami and the moves that they made, it's just hard for me to translate that contract to fantasy production for 2022. Unless, I don't know, unless they start to jettison like other wide receivers at this point, but I don't know if that's going to happen or not. Yeah, I'm not sure if they're going to part ways with uh, Devontae Parker or something like that. Yeah. I really liked Wilson. Um, when he was in Dallas, I did a, uh instant impact uh, pod on Sunday morning my time. Um, saying that I thought he would be a good option in Dallas for fantasy purposes late in drafts uh, with Noel Murray Cooper, Michael Gallup coming off that ACL. And um, no sooner had I published it, it was not worth the um, <laughs> Spotify subscription you paid to listen to it on. Um, another name that's come up a couple of times already, DJ Chark to Detroit. Uh, I think it's one year, 10 million. I like it. Now, does that, it, and the funny part is that, of course, Anytime the Lions make any sort of move or change uh, to their passing offense, it sparks the whole Amon Ra St. Brown like civil war on Twitter, or at least <laughs> our and at least in our little corner of fantasy Twitter, it just seems like everybody it's either pro or against Amon Ra St. Brown. There's really no in between. You either think his with this move that they wound up making, bringing Chark in, it either helps him or it hurts him. There's really no in between, at least from what I saw the reactions on Twitter once the signing was announced. But I like it for DJ Chark. I know that they uh, still wound up retaining who is it, uh, Josh Reynolds, uh, with, since he already had that connection with Jared Goff anyway. But looking at what the team still needs, I mean, they still do need another boundary receiver and. I think both can wind up flourishing. I mean, DJ Chark, I believe, is better than uh, than Josh Reynolds. I think he's a better uh, better wide receiver than Josh Reynolds. And at the same time, it will still allow Amon Ross St. Brown to work in the intermediate, short and intermediate areas of the field. I mean, both things can be true in this offense. Now, does that mean Jared Goff is going to be the one to throw the ball as deep as often? I think he only had like a 6% deep ball rate just this past season. So while it might not be as conducive to DJ Chark as a deep threat, he can still run a pretty uh, like a decent enough route tree to get open in the intermediate areas of the field. He's just more of a boundary player. He's going to be seeing more, more of those alpha corners and that type of coverage versus Amon Ross St. Brown, who's going to be seeing easier coverage like than DJ Chark. But overall, I think at the end of the day, both of them are going to wind up getting used. Both of them are going to see targets. So while... Amon Ross St. Brown is going to be the one that everybody's going to flock to. I wouldn't really sleep on DJ Chark because we saw him have at least a, not necessarily a breakout season, but he had a good season uh, with the Jaguars. Was it two seasons ago? We haven't really seen him come to uh, like click with Trevor Lawrence. But I think in this offense, and especially if they wind up making a change at quarterback, if not this season, then next year, then yes, I think it's going to be a good move for DJ Chark overall. I'm very much in the pro Amon Ross St. Brown uh, corner. Anyone they add is going to be 
it's not bad news because he's a very good football player as far as mm-hmm. I'm concerned. But I guess you have a right to be concerned that the volume won't be there. And certainly volume was king for him at the back end of last year. Absolutely. Right, They brought back Reynolds. They've re-signed uh, Khalif Raymond, who was coming off I thought a pretty, pretty good season. Um, but you're right, Chuck's that classic X guy. Like, he's going to be outside. Amon Rasay Brown's going to get his over the middle. He's going to be competing, at least in my mind, with Hawkinson for targets. Exactly. It's it's mm-hmm. down that seam. Um, but he's the safety blanket, as far as I'm concerned. You know, Chuck's the Chuck might be the sizzle, but um, Amon Ra St. Brown is the stake. If people want to get off that train, then uh, all day, give him to me. I was a big Absolutely. fan of him in college, and uh, I was a big fan of him last year. So, um, I'm not overly interested in DJ Chark just because I don't think that's much of an, it's not really an offense you want too many parts of. Give me Swift, give me some Brown. I think even Hawkinson's probably overpriced for what he is. Uh, but yeah, interesting. It'll be interesting to watch. Yeah, I think more of a long term thing at this point because Detroit, we already know that they're trying to at least retool their offense essentially almost as a whole, right? Because we don't think that Jared Goff is going to be a long-term answer. And then also with, I mean, they had just had their coaching change just this past year. So, and they were what bottom four, bottom five and early down passing rate neutral situations. So it's just like that entire offense just needs to develop on its own. The entire team needs to offer, like needs to develop on its own, both offense and defensively. So, of course, they're going to be at the back end of their own division. I mean, looking at what Green Bay bringing back as many pieces as they can. I mean, they're going to be a team that's going to be in a lot of passing situations as it is anyway. So I do yep. think the volume is probably going to be there for both of them. And I think they can both be successful. But I, I 100% agree that it's really going to be more about ASRB uh, going to be the one that, you know, or that's a ARSB, that's his, those are his initials, but he's going to be the one to really see the most of it because we've already seen him have that connection with Jared Goff. And then Chark could just be a good piece to go behind him. Yeah. And uh, I think the football world is, is better when DJ Chark's playing. He's an exciting player. I think so too. Uh, yeah. And I want to see Detroit no longer languish at the, the bottom of the, the NFL table. Now, the last receiver we're going to talk about here is Russell Gage to Tampa Bay. The rich sort of get richer here. Yeah. Um, they've replaced um, Antonio Brown to a degree uh, with Gage. What do you make of this move? I like this move. I mean, Russell Gage, for I think uh, my skepticism with Russell Gage coming into last season was just the fact that for the most part, uh, trying to, uh, I think when you think about Russell Gage, you just think slot receiver. And we've heard time and time again about trying to, route your entire offense like through a slot receiver it doesn't work out but russell gage in his own right i mean he was one of the more efficient players like in the league i mean top 25 in terms of yard per route run according to pff i mean he was up there like with chris godwin like he was right behind chris godwin in terms of yards per route run who's now going to be his new teammate now i know folks will probably have some concerns about where those two are going to play i mean obviously with uh, Chris Godwin's injury late in the season. It's entirely possible he starts the season on the pup. Russell Gage gets to be the one to man the slot with Tom Brady at the start of the season. And we'll th- see how things shake out from there. Now, but afterwards, I don't know how they're going to wind up deploying the two. I mean, I don't think that, I mean, Chris Godwin can get moved outside, but we obviously know that he's more efficient, like in the slot as well. So how they're going to deploy Gage, Godwin, Evans, Gronk, assuming he's also back as well. I'm not entirely sure, but I think the real thing to take uh, 
like the big takeaway for me is that any of the rest of the guys that were a part, any of the rest of the guys that were part of the wide receiver room in Tampa, most of those guys got to go. I mean, hmm. Cyril Grayson, I mean, maybe Tyler Johnson, like makes, you know, makes the team, but they're just all those extra guys that we kept thinking, well, because they're attached to Tampa Bay and because Tom Brady might be throwing them the ball, they're going to wind up being good for fantasy. No, 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 no. They wouldn't have made this move for Russell Gage if they thought those guys were going to be useful for them if most if any of their wide receivers wind up getting hurt. So I do think that it's going to be Russell Gage as quickly as possible. And even saw a story saying that Tom Brady personally called him, said that he liked mm. his game and wanted him to come down and play for him in Tampa. So it's just that already that already gives me enough indication that any of those other guys that we've been pining for, if, especially if you're in Dynasty, because I know a number of folks have been holding on to Tyler Johnson for a few years now, but any of those guys that we've been pining for at this point, no, it's just not worth it anymore. It's going to be the Russell Gage season like from here on out, or at least until Tom Brady retires again. You heard it here. First people, stop holding on to your Johnson. I think <laughs> it's uh, – well, I think it's also bad news for Scotty Miller. I think um, – yeah. well, it's sort of good news and bad news. He'll go somewhere else, and I think he'll be a productive NFL player somewhere else. We've seen what uh, Braxton Berrios, Hunter Renfro, you know, interchangeable white slot receiver has done all over the league. Um, maybe it'll even be in New England, yeah. Uh, Buffalo, New England, anywhere, um, anywhere where he's not going to be fourth or fifth string behind mm. um, a fairly good players. I'm, I'm not really interested in Gage uh, fantasy wise, but I think it's a good move for them. I think it's a good move for Brady, uh, and I think it will be in the first quarter of the first game of the season. Uh, by by the time we hear a twelve gauge shotgun, uh, <laughs> possibly by Scott Hansen, I think. Probably, um, yeah. When, yeah. When Gage uh, catches his first pass there. Let's um, let's maybe deviate away from the, the, the fantasy relevant positions immediately. And let's talk about your Bengals. They've added two guards here, Ted Karras and Alex Kappa. What do you think of that? I love it. I mean, this is actually the smart move for Cincinnati. Now, do I hope that they wind up landing like a Teron Armstead or in something like that, since they still have some cap room to play with. I think as of right now, according to Spotrack, like they've got like 13, 14 million still left in cap. So like they've, they've got some money to move around at this point. And, but right now they need to be shopping like in that bargain area, like, you know, middle-class ish of offensive linemen. And this is what we needed. We just essentially needed to go from, uh, let's say, F plus at offensive line to, let's say, a C plus, B minus. That's, that's what we need. That's really all we need at this point. Because if Joe Burrow was capable of doing what he did with the core receivers that are all going to be back, I mean, we can substitute, maybe, hopefully, substitute Tyler Croft for CJ Uzuma moving forward. Still got Joe Mixon. So if the offensive line is the only thing that really needs to be upgraded, all right, well, we're not going to go from an F to an A without completely uh, completely destroying the cap that they have built up over the past few years. So let's go ahead and make sure that we have not just one player, but how about two to three average players? And if they wind up making a splash with any of the other currently available offensive linemen that are still out there in free agency, cool. But right now, I think this is the right this is the right process for building that team because they've also still been able to retain a couple of their free agents on defense as well. 
because that was also part of the, I mean, their defense was the reason that they were still in those games during the playoffs. I mean, that's what yep. sealed their win against the Raiders, sealed their win uh, against uh, against Mahomes. I mean, it's what kept them in those in those playoff games for them to even get to the Super Bowl in the first place. So I like what they've done so far. Hopefully it winds up working out, but at least looking at the, the stats for both the linemen that they've signed so far, it's exactly where it was. It met, it meets my expectations. Just hopefully we see it come to fruition on the field. Yeah, I think Ted Karras is a nice ad. It'll be good to see him start somewhere. He's been sort of a sixth lineman uh, in New England for a long time, and Miami can kind of play anywhere on the interior. So even if he's not um, the world beater, like you say, even if he's that kind of C grader, um, he's at least flexible. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I like it. I like building from the inside out with the offensive line. It's um, easy to protect your quarterback that way. So it's good news for everyone. Anything that keeps um, uh, Joe Burrow off his bum is good news. Yes. And uh, obviously good news for Joe Mixon as well, um, opening up some holes there. And he doesn't really need a big hole to to burst through to to look good, as we saw in the Super Bowl. Um, I wasn't going to mention the Super Bowl, uh, just in case. Anyway, <laughs> CJ Uzuma. Uh, has a, another one who's gone from the penthouse to the outhouse. In fact, the the outhouse of all outhouses, the <laughs> New York Jets, along with uh, Tyler Conklin. It's been a long time since the Jets have had anyone decent at tight end, and I, I like that they've double dipped here. Um, do you have any uh, desire to see either of these players on your fantasy rosters? No, not really. The only fantasy worthy i guess two I, I do like elijah Moore. i like his trajectory i do think he's going to be viable in fantasy this year i'd also michael carter as well uh, as kind of one of those like later round like running backs that you might want to stash uh th- those are the only two that i'm really concerned about because outside of that Corey davis no i mean any of the ancillary players that are going to be a part of that squad even the tight ends because when was the last time we were excited about a jets tight end uh, I mean, outside of Chris Herndon. I was going to say uh, it was Chris Herndon before he, yeah. what did he do? He ran away from his car or something like that? Yeah. I mean, that's so that's that's about it. Because outside of that, I mean, just look at how bad, I mean, the Jets were. I mean, outside of like, those games with Mike White uh, and, the, of course, subsequently the game that Cincinnati wound up losing to the Jets. But overall, I mean, offensive efficiency, I mean, bottom six, I mean, yards per drive, I mean, bottom five. Even like Zach Wilson himself, right? he was one of the worst quarterback, worst rookie quarterbacks, and that was in a class that we all giggled at the at the Texans drafting Davis Mills. So it's just yeah. I, I'm I'm not all too I guess enthusiastic about the Jets offense as a whole, but I will just take like those two pieces, just kind of call it a day. But I'm happy for I'm happy for CJ Uzuma getting paid, but it just sucks to see the situation that he finds himself in. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's been plenty of people who've uh, taken their money and gone to um, New York only to find it's maybe not the worst. I understand he's a pretty good locker room guy and New York yeah. could use some of them. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Um, staying in the AFC East, I'm sure you'll have a lengthy hot take on this one. OJ Howard to Buffalo. Woohoo! Uh, what was I saw the joke on Twitter. This is, I have to credit it. It was from Ben Albright. I don't know if he was the original creator of this joke, but he said that uh, this is not the... Oh, what was it? There's something about like, uh, like a connection between the first time or uh, OJ and like the Bills were mentioned in the same sentence. <laughs> something along those lines. Uh, but I guess my first thought was, and I've also seen this floating around on Twitter. Does this mean now that 
Buffalo is now going to not necessarily switch, but going to incorporate more 12 personnel because they've already got Dawson Knox there. And Dawson Knox showed that he's a great pass catching tight end in his own right. So now are they going to try and deploy both of them on the field? I mean, as we're expecting, I mean, they paid Isaiah McKenzie, not a ton, but enough. They're mm. expecting Cole Beasley to leave. I mean, they've obviously still got Steph Diggs and Gabe Davis. So now does this mean that they're going to now try and incorporate like those two as a part of their offense as more of a, I guess, mainstay in their offense versus trying to run three wide, four wide, you know, as you know, 80, 90 percent of the time as they were a couple of seasons ago when Josh Allen became the fantasy like, the you know, the fantasy juggernaut like that he is known to be as of right now. So that's my only question at, the, at this point. And how does O.J. Howard fit into this? Does he still have enough juice left to really be a part of that? Or is he just going to be a rotational guy? So I'm not completely out on Dawson Knox. Uh, it's really just what are the like? How are they going to incorporate like him into that offense? So I'm just kind of going to try and read the tea leaves uh, from the team and try and see like what they're what they're talking about like after they've made this acquisition. Because remember they were just in on signing JD McKissick just a couple yeah. of days ago. So it's like, you know, they're they're bringing in more pass catchers and they're trying to make this offense a bit more diverse for Josh Allen, which is great. But it's just how does like what does that mean like from a scheme perspective? And I'm not sure yet. Yeah, well, McKissick ended up reneging on that deal um, mm-hmm. to stay in uh, to stay in Washington. So, I mean, we'll get to a name uh, in the, the next segment there that I think could be an interesting fit in Buffalo. The 12 personnel would be good. I think that would be um, a good. Uh, a good way for them to open up maybe that running game for Josh Allen a little bit more. They need to be able to run the ball better than they have uh, and having those out there. Although OJ Howard is a bit like, um, uh, who were we talking about before that wasn't on the field all that much? Raheem Mostert. Oh, yeah. You know, you're not going to get 16 games out of him. Um, So it'll be interesting. I think it's a a nice addition. Good change of scenery. And finally, because I don't think there's been any other deals that have come through. There are plenty of others, but they're not especially interesting. Oh, actually, before we move on, I quite liked uh, Isaiah McKenzie uh, as a a player to watch this year. I think he's going to be nice and cheap, and I think uh, towards the back end of your draft, good little wide receiver uh, 2-3, potentially. Yeah, we saw him creep into essentially high wide receiver 2, low wide receiver 1 volume or target shares, uh, towards the back end of this past season. So now if we're going to be able to project that over a full 17-week season, that's great, especially on a team that's been consistently in the top four, top five in pass rate over expectation. They've got one of the best quarterbacks in the league. So now if we're talking about a full-time player that's going to be on the field for 60, 70, 80% of the snaps, yeah, sign me up for that. That's a great move for them. Great move for Isaiah McKenzie. He's a good player. Yeah, yeah, I like him as well. Um, the last one we need to talk about here, Mitch Trubisky to Pittsburgh. Okay. It, I know that on paper, it, this sounds like a good move for them. Because if we look at what Ben Roethlisberger was towards the tail end of his career, sure, he was passing the ball 35, 40 times a game. I mean, they did have, they were top seven in terms of pass rate over expectation, but these were short passes i mean he had one of the lowest a dots in the entire league so now if we give it oh like we essentially put mitch trubisky in that offense now you're talking about offense that even if they continue to pass it say even doesn't have to be top four top five in terms of volume but let's say even top 12 top 15 
I mean, that's enough to still float the values of Deontay Johnson, even Chase Claypool, because we know that Mitch Trubisky was aggressive as a quarterback, like when he was still a part of Chicago. It was, from at least in my personal opinion, it was more about him being raw as a quarterback combined with the ineptitude of the coaching staff with Matt Nagy, so on and so forth. So if he's had time to grow as a quarterback, also gets put in a better system with better weapons as well, because the best he had in Chicago was Allen Robinson at the time. So I think all of that really works in his favor. Now, couple that also with their relatively poor offensive line, him being mobile. I mean, we can see some scrambles here and there. So we can, at least from a fantasy standpoint, I do like this. My only question is, are the Steelers now going to be interested in any of the quarterbacks in this class? I mean, are they going to want to play, you know, try and pick up a Matt Corral, a Malik Willis, if the Seahawks pass on him? Can he pick any of those guys and kind of put this whole uh, quarterback controversy in play before we even see Mitch Trubisky step onto the field as their starter? But otherwise, I think as of right now on paper, I like the Steelers offense. I, I like what this what the possibility is on paper. But we'll I mean, we'll just have to see like once we get to the regular season. I totally agree with all of that. I think uh, Trubisky's a good fit for that offense. Um, he's going to be nice and aggressive. He's going to be able to push the ball downfield more effectively than Ben did. I do think it's bad news for Najee Harris because those dump-offs are just going to be Trubisky scrambling. He can use yep. his legs. Um, but, yeah, if they're not going to build that offensive line, I don't think they are going to go quarterback early. I think they will hold off for a year. They clearly like uh, Mason Rudolph enough for, to keep him around for – a variety That's of true. reasons. Yeah. They've brought back Dwayne Haskins. They've got Mitch Trubisky. I don't think they're keeping all three if they're then going to add uh, the gunfight at Matt Corral or uh, Kenny Pickett or, or Malik mm-hmm. Willis or something like that. I mean, actually, they could add Willis, let him sit for a little bit. But I think it is going to be – I think it's going to be Trubisky first and foremost mm-hmm. uh, in Pittsburgh. But whether he's going to be the guy 16 games uh, remains to be seen. Now, before we wrap this up, we have a lightning round. I say we. I have a lightning round for you. All I've right. got 10 names and one position here, and I want you to tell me – Get look into your crystal ball. All right. Crystal ball. And tell me <laughs> <laughs> where this player is going to be at the end of the free agency period. And first okay. and foremost, Alan Robinson. I was I would have said Chargers like a few days ago, but I don't know, I don't think they have the cap space. Allen Robinson, where could he wind up going? That still have the cap space in order to do this. Las Vegas. It's good. Uh, good guess. I'm going to say the Falcons. I haven't looked at cap space either, so these are all just plucked. Uh, out of the deepest reaches of nowhere. Uh, OBJ. I think he goes back to LA. I think they try and figure something out and he goes back to the Rams. I agree. Jameis Winston. New Orleans. I think they figure something out there too. I think he goes back. Yeah, agree. Jarvis Landry. Uh, Honestly, I was going to say the Falcons for Jarvis Landry. Yep, I heard he'd uh, taken a meeting there. It's going to need to be somewhere where he's, I think, well, don't need him there. I was going to say uh, the Jags, but they've already spent quite a bit of money at the position. I don't think they're going to tip anymore, but he would be that kind of veteran presence, I think, would uh, 
be a real nice option for um, uh, for Trevor Lawrence. So, you know what? I'm going to say the Jets. Same idea, different what? different quarterback. Uh, Juju. Maybe he uh, – no, because Kansas City doesn't have the cap space in order to move for him, and they already tried doing this last year. Um, who could use – Patriots? I would not be pleased as a uh, Patriots uh, fan, but um, there's worse players to add than Juju. Um, they need more say, speed, though. They, I think yeah. they need more speed than anything else, so probably not there. He can catch the ball, which is um, a nice change from. Well, thankfully, got rid of Gunnar Olszewski. I couldn't. Oh yeah, we yeah. could, could watch him just forget how to catch the ball. Um, I think he might end up a Texan. Yeah, that would surprise where me. Where dreams either. go to die. Yeah, because especially after they move Deshaun Watson, they'll just have a ton of like a ton of space to move right, to to play with at that point. I would assume. And he'd kind of fit um, Davis Mills too. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, that, I think that works out. Uh, Cordero Patterson stays in ATL. Yep, agreed. Will Fuller, man, it would be great if send him to the Chargers. I think he has Raider written all over him. Yeah, because he'd be the perfect Henry Ruggs replacement. I'm just this is more of a pie in the sky, like Mike Williams on one side, Will Fuller or William Fuller, since that's what he wants to be called now, and then Keen oh, now in the go. slot. Uh, I think that'd be just a, a dream scenario uh, for the Chargers, but I doubt they'd be able to, I don't know. I don't know what he's going to command in free agency, to be quite honest, but I guess if Christian Kirk is getting $14 million a year, Will Fuller should at least get that, I would think. Well, uh, yeah, William's going to be an upgrade on Jalen Guyton or um, whoever Josh else Josh Palmer. Yeah. Don't know if he's an upgrade on Palmer. Uh, I quite, I'm, a, I'm a fan of Palmer. Different position, too. Palmer's Right, been, yeah. Uh, inside inside guy. guy, yeah. yeah. Uh, MVS. I was going to say him to the Raiders. I yeah, think that was the. Yeah, I think that's more of the because, like, if you want to do like an arbitrage on because how much like Fuller would cost versus MVS, and if you want to just get that that's you know that deep threat that speed threat, then I think you if they can't get Fuller. Then MVS would just be the e- like the easy plan B for them. Yeah, well, if you're talking cheap deep threats, maybe it is um, Jalen Garten or um, Tyron Johnson mm. or someone like that. That's the role they want. They want a field stretcher. Yeah, yeah. I think it's immaterial doubt- whether he can catch or not. Yeah, but the Chargers aren't going to trade with the Raiders, though. No, no, they're not. But that's that's the sort of player that yeah, like exactly. sixth, sixth receiver with some wheels. I think mm. uh, MVS becomes a Patriot annoyingly. Um, oh yeah, they've kicked the tires on him, uh, as is my understanding. Rashad Penny. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Seattle tries to do something with him because I, I know that the whole like they draft him the first round thing, like that's that's not it. I think it's just more of Pete Carroll still being a part of that organization and how much they believed in him, how much they wanted him to you know, go through his rehab, get back on the field, and then what he did towards the back end of the season. Like, it's all narrative based. But Pete Carroll's a narrative type of guy, just looking at his mm. coaching even when he was still in college. So I could see him coming back uh, to Seattle. If not there, I'm trying to think of, like, other teams that could possibly, like, make a move for him as, like, a cheap, you know, back end. Like, what about Philly? You know, maybe taking yeah. a shot on him? 
Now, since I think yep. they just lost, they come in because they they lost Boston Scott, if I'm not mistaken. No, nope, they, they haven't did. been just they haven't been completely sold on Miles Sanders. So they bring in a guy like Penny on a relatively cheap deal, that sort of thing. Yeah, I could see that happening. Uh, I think, well, Boston Scott, um, as you were saying that, I was going to say Penny to the Bills. He's clearly the sort of play they're chasing if it's a J.D. McKissick type. But I actually think it could be Boston Scott to the Bills and, and maybe Penny stays, as you say, in, in Seattle. Mm-hmm. The interesting name I thought might be um, one for the Bills, Cold Climate uh, and the old, the old war horse, Melvin Gordon. Oh yeah, I think that'd be one of the sign, like one of those free agent signings that really just kind of. It's almost like when the Rams started bringing in all of their stars in order to make sure they just had this juggernaut roster to make their Super Bowl run, and it feels mm. like that's what Buffalo's doing right now, especially with like the Von Miller trade and all that. And almost be oh, yeah. almost kind of like poetic with the Von Miller now being there. Like you know, Melvin Gordon goes over there as well. So it's like, yeah, I can see that happening for sure. And last but not least, who's going to be the Colts quarterback? Oh, boy. Um, Baker Mayfield. Yep, I can see that happening. I think it's going to be, uh, I think it's going to be Baker too. Um, Cleveland have shafted him big time, I think. I, I don't know what's going on there, to be quite honest, because it, it seemed like an amicable relationship overall. And I get that they're not completely happy with how Baker's contract has played out over the past four years to go from we have hope to what they were uh, half of a game away when they played against the Chiefs a couple of years ago of getting into the, you know, making a decent run like in the playoffs to what was essentially a lost season last year with all the injuries and whatnot and losing OBJ and then Baker like getting injured himself. It's just... I don't know what's sour to the point where did you see the report earlier today about uh, they want an adult at quarterback? Yeah. Like, where did we? How did we get there? Like I don't know. Like what transpired? Like what transpired between all the you know the the good years to this point? I just never saw that coming. But yeah, it just seems like it's time for him to move on, regardless of if they wind up getting Deshaun Watson or not. That was a weird, a weird. Um comments make wanting an adult because there are, there are a number of quarterbacks I would consider in the league to not be adults. Kirk Cousins, there's one. Uh, Carson Wentz. I, I, Carson Wentz. Uh, Kyler Murray. Yeah, um, yeah. Baker Mayfield, for all intents and purposes, I don't know how the guy's been largely loved everywhere he's gone. He seems like he's a, um, I hate this cliche, but like a leader of men type, a, a good locker room guy, like... Mm-hmm. I don't know why people don't like him. Like I, 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 I never got I it either. It. I, I guess um, maybe it's the commercials. I, I don't know. He just, but even but, they're, they're not that bad. Like I, compared to some of the ones you see. Yeah. I, I just, I don't know where, I don't know where the hate comes from to be quite honest. Uh, but yeah, I mean, outside of him being, let's say a just below replacement level quarterback, I'm not sure what else like he's done wrong to to get this level of commentary on not just him as a quarterback, but him as a person. Like I just don't know where where that switch happened. It, it feels like they're um it feels like they're living draft day once again. Like they've got the older quarterback in the room. They don't want him. And yeah. maybe you know what? There's an adult quarterback for you, Derek Carr. No, oh, yeah. maybe, maybe it's a straight swap for the two of them and both fan bases are upset. 
But no, probably, yeah. Uh-huh. Anyway, I, I feel bad for Baker. Maybe he does go to the Colts. Pair him with Frank Reich. I, I think they'd, they'd get along all right. There's a, there's a good legacy yeah. there. Yeah. In, I, I, uh, a better yeah. situation probably for, for both teams. Uh, Baker Mayfield, like while the – I don't know. like I don't even think the personnel, at least the skill position players, aren't that much worse than what he was throwing to in Cleveland. So no. I think it's more of just like a net neutral move for, for both teams, to be quite honest. Yeah, and Baker's going to want to go somewhere that wants him, and Cleveland probably want a guy that is going to want to be there. I'm not saying Baker doesn't want to be there. Seems like the sort of guy is going to go and, and make the best of whatever situation he's he's in. But, yeah. Um, anyway, they had one good year and then decided that was uh, a bit much for them and, and want to go back to being terrible again. Right. Um, we finish every show uh, with some wise words of wisdom, and that's where – uh, I've co-opted this segment from Natter, where it used to be him with a, a, a stupid sort of fridge magnet style uh, <laughs> slogan. And and now instead, I like to ask our guests, what's one bit of advice you could give to our audience to make them better fantasy football players? As of right now, uh, let's say that you're getting into uh, not just mock drafting, but like best ball season, because that's become a larger part of how folks get a sense of what ADP is going to look like when redraft season comes around. If you're getting into that right now, pay attention to the rookies. I'm not saying draft them or go all out, reach for, you know, Brees Hall, Isaiah Spiller, or any of the quarterbacks, blah, 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 blah. But just pay attention to the movement of their ADP, because that is going to be not necessarily the skeleton key, but that is going to be one of the critical points of how you can find some value in your drafts come July, August, September. Draft capital plays a huge role in it. Also, what their projected workload is going to look like moving forward. But I do think that paying attention to what the rookies do, like from a draft capital standpoint, also how they're developing once we get to training camp, that's going to be, that's going to play a huge part in it because some, like it's, there's always going to be Every league is going to have one guy in it or one person in it that's going to be completely gung-ho about their rookies. Think about last year. It was, oh, Najee Harris. I got to get, I got to get Najee Harris. Like he's going to be, you know, the greatest and they're going to reach for those guys. And if you know that person, if you know that that value is going to be there after they reach for that guy, you know who you can pick afterwards. Or even if you're into the rookies. And you think that you know that because Brees Hall is going to go to this situation and get this workload because he has that dual versatility that he's going to be the guy that you want to draft. So I do think that while they won't always hit and they won't always be a major asset to your team, finding out who those either big value players are going to be or even those diamond, you know, diamond in the rough type of players, those rookies, I think, are going to be some of those guys that you're going to want to have on your roster. So Around draft day, which is going to be here within you know the next like few weeks or so, or the next well, well a month or so, now start to pay attention to who the big guys, you know, the Todd McShays, Lance Sear lines, Dane Bruglers, like who those guys are talking about that are skill position relevant, and then start to just track them as we go through this process and as we get into the draft season and as we get into training camp season and all that, and then that will help you inform your decisions once we get into actual redraft season, which isn't too far away to be quite honest. Yeah, it's coming up really quickly, uh, scarily quickly, and I've done <laughs> frighteningly little research. Well, thank you very much for your time, Chris. Tell the good people where they can find you. Oh, yeah. Always happy to come on and chat. I uh, really appreciate you bringing me back. Uh, but you can find me on Twitter, at Chris Allen FFWX. 
Uh, I've been a hermit for like the past like you know month to six weeks. Yeah, after after the Super Bowl, one because I was sad because my Bengals lost. Uh, but no, just taking a break uh, from fantasy content, but getting back into the swing of things now. Uh, got some best ball content that's coming uh, coming around the corner here within the next few days. Video content, written content, all that stuff gearing back up for getting that stuff back out to the folks here with the off season. So yeah, happy to get back into the swing of things. But yeah, if you need me, you can find me on Twitter there or any of my work at 444 Football, NBC Sports Edge, Football Guys. And of course, I'll be doing a brew show over at 32-Bit. Uh, so yeah, find me over there if you uh, also looking into getting into the hobby that I love to do every now and again. I absolutely cannot wait for your uh, your brew show on uh, on 32-Bit. And speaking of, if you want to listen to uh, my other show, one of my other shows, you can check out Screen Pass, the show about football and popular culture. And that's available on all good podcast platforms, which is why it's not available on Apple Podcasts. Well, that's it from me. As always, you can follow me. I'm at Sheehan Solo. The AFL season is about to kick off, so be prepared for f- plenty of Fremantle Dockers content over there and probably not a lot of NFL content, but that's okay. It's the off-season anyway. Thank you for listening, everybody, and we will be back I'm ready for us today.